The Opportunity Zone Incentive offers a unique opportunity for family offices and high net worth individuals who may be sitting on a lot of capital gains. But should you or your family office invest in Opportunity Zones? And what deals are worth pursuing? Find out in today's episode as I discuss these topics and more with family office real estate professional DJ Van Curen. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Joining me on this episode to discuss how the Opportunity Zone program can work for family offices is DJ Van Curen. DJ is a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council and founder of the Family Office Real Estate Institute. For the last year and a half, he has served as vice president for the Heyman Family Office, and he is also the author of Real Estate Investing for Family Offices. DJ, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Absolutely. So today's episode is really going to be geared toward high net worth individuals and family offices in particular who may have questions about investing in opportunity zones. So DJ, you are the family office real estate expert, and you literally wrote the book on this very topic. So to start the show off, I'd like you to give us a view of the big picture. How much real estate investing are family offices doing? What has 2018 looked like, and what are you expecting in 2019? allocation of real estate for a family in the U.S. is about 10.8%. Globally, it's about 18%. So it makes up, you know, a good portion of a uh, family office's allocation of their investments. And quite a number of families have actually created their wealth through real estate or created their their second area of wealth creation through real estate. So it, it plays a pretty significant role in that of families. Uh, and also uh, in the last year, year and a half, because families haven't been able to get yields at the banks or, or by buying other types of uh, investments, they've actually used real estate in order to uh, generate cash flow. Very good. So as I mentioned in the intro, you're the vice president for the Heyman family office. Can you give me the background story of the Heyman family and how they made their wealth? And uh, give me a little bit more information about you and how you became uh, the lead of their family office. Sure. So the Heyman family office is uh, a Beverly Hills family, and they actually had two areas of wealth creation. The first was with uh, Giorgio Perfume, and Giorgio Perfume was the number one fragrance in the 80s. and they had actually built a, a global brand and sold that to Avon in 1986 for about $165 million. After about a year, one of their sons, who I presently work for, realized that he wasn't going to take over the family business. So him and a few other people invested $40,000 into a cheap whitening product. And, and he grew that business to $200 million a year in revenues in 100 countries and sold that out to Phillips in 2011. Uh, it was shortly after that that he really started to take a look at real estate and developing the family's real estate portfolio above and beyond any of the legacy assets that they currently own. And that's really how I came about working for the Haynes family. Prior to working for 
the Amens, I actually worked for a family office out of Boulder, Colorado, for quite a number of years, and I was headhunted to come aboard to work with the Haymans, and, and so we've been really focused primarily on the real estate portfolio, uh, expanding the, the current assets that they own, and you know disposing of, of certain assets that they have as well. And so that's really been the focus, and we're actually in the process of developing a, uh, an office brand, boutique brand, which would be the first in the country under the name Vibe. Vibe, very good. Uh, yeah, the Heyman family story sounds like a pretty interesting one, just the fact that they had two different generations have large exits like that. That must be, must be pretty rare to see that in, in your field. Yeah, it is. You don't, you don't, um, you know, you'll see some families that'll have multiple exits, maybe under the same patriarch or matriarch, but to, to see, a, you know, another family member or, or a generational family member create uh, a significant amount of wealth themselves doesn't happen very often. And, uh, you know, so that says quite a, quite a bit for, you know, my current principal, who's the first generation. Very good. That's a that's a neat story. Well, this is the Opportunity Zones podcast, so I want to shift gears and dive into Opportunity Zones here. So my regular listeners already have a pretty good understanding of the Opportunity Zone tax incentive, but I'm expecting that this episode is likely being listened to by a lot of family offices who may just be beginning to learn about the program. So for them, could you give a brief explanation of how the Opportunity Zone program works and why it might make sense, or maybe it doesn't make sense right now for family offices with real estate investing experience? Sure. Well, it's also for, for families that don't have real estate expecting, uh, uh, experience as well, Sure. Uh, which I'll, I'll explain to you here in a minute. But basically what happened toward the end of last year, there is a, uh, an incentive and a program that was put together that got pushed through Congress and was called the Opportunity Zone. And this is made up of 8,700 different areas throughout the country that were actually picked, hand-picked by the local people that are in charge of, of those areas. And the objective was to try to take some of these areas that were maybe uh, a little depressed or you know, up and coming, or they're they're hoping to have them up and come to really add to the economic benefits of that area. And so, for that to happen, they came up with the Opportunity Zone Fund, which, from a fifty thousand foot view, it allows you to sell an asset of some sort, whether that's a piece of real estate, whether that's a sale of stock, a sale of company, and rather than pay capital gains on that sale, you can actually roll all of gains as an investment into an opportunity within one of these opportunity zones. So let's say that you had $3 million that you had coming back that were profit, and let's say you had to pay a million dollars worth of capital gains. Well, instead of only being able to invest $2 million into the opportunity zone investment, you can actually invest a full $3 million. So in, an, in a sense, you're really use Uncle Sam's dollars in order to benefit from that. And if you hold that for 10 years, any additional gains that you'd have on that investment would be tax-free. So that really provides quite an incentive for families 
and high net worth individuals to take some money off the table, per se, in some of their other investments and invest that into an opportunity zone, whether it's in real estate, private equity, or let's say you started a manufacturing facility. So it is really something that can, can truly allow families and high net worth to benefit. Yeah, I think the program offers a fantastic tax benefit. It's tax-deferred money going in, and it's tax-free growth when you're exiting. And it really does have the power to possibly transform the country if it's if it's deployed the right way. There's no limits as to how big the program can go. Um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see what it looks like over the coming years and and decades to come. But it it has a lot of potential, that's for sure. So. DJ, is Heyman Properties considering investing in Opportunity Zones right now, or are you guys still in wait-and-see mode? Where are you guys at in the process? Well, they, there, there have been a couple different regulations, stages of regulations that come out. However, we still don't have all the final regs, and that's supposed to be coming in the first quarter of next year. So, you know, we're, we're being cautiously optimistic, I guess you could say. We're waiting for the, the dust to settle because we want to make sure that we understand all the specifics of the Opportunity Zone investments. And, you know, although a lot of it is already fleshed out, there's still quite a bit of questions that actually have to be answered. And, and, and when you talk to people that have dove into this information and are quite knowledgeable you still hear some different viewpoints or, or different levels of understanding. So because of that, we're in a way to see mode, you know, until all the final regulations come out. Very good. That's probably a wise thing to do. I know a lot of people are, are in wait and see mode all over the country still, still waiting to hear some more from the IRS. And I'll, I'll ask you a little bit more about that later. But first, I want to ask you about what you're hearing from other colleagues. You're a leader in the family office industry. I know you speak at a lot of conferences and uh, you have different media properties. How much interest have have you heard from other other family offices in this Opportunity Zone program? What have you been hearing from your other colleagues, and and how have you been advising them to proceed? Well, you know, the as a whole, there's been a tremendous amount of interest um, from from family offices, and in fact, there are some, you know. Opportunity Zone funds that, that have started to market, and they've had quite a bit of interest from family offices as well. You know, so I, I think it's going to be something that you will see quite a bit of money flowing to. And, and one of the main reasons is because one of the biggest issues that families have to deal with is from a tax perspective. So if they're able to shield some of their taxes, or in this case, actually you know, have something be tax-free on the other side of the coin. It's something that's that's of great interest. You know, when I talk to other families about this, and, and I'll get phone calls, you know, with, with my thoughts and everything else, the biggest thing that I continue to emphasize, and I, and I wrote about this in a couple different Forbes articles as well, is that it still comes down to the investment. You still have to look at the fundamentals. You have to say, Who's the operator? What have they done? Do they have experience in this area? Uh, because it will be a different type of, if it's a real estate investment, it, it'll be a different type of an investment because it's a different kind of an area, right? It's typically a lower income area or an area that's, you know, that they're really trying to, to, to bring out of a, a low economic hardship. And so 
you know, I still I, I mentioned that you, you you've got to look at the fundamentals, you got to look at the investment itself, and does the investment stand on its own? Because if you stand on its own, then the tax component of that is basically the tail's wagging the dog, and the, and the tax benefits are being sold and being discussed rather than the investment itself. And that's the other thing too that I mentioned to families is that yes, there's a tax benefit, but you know, don't let that determine uh, your interest or involvement in an opportunity zone. So, and, and that's not only for real estate, but there's also, I think, um, even potentially greater opportunities investing as a private equity deal or, or you know, a manufacturing facility. So, um, the good thing about family office capital is that it's patient capital, and so they don't have to write a check. And, uh, you know, that will be something that I think will be definitely a benefit here for those families that, like us, wait until the dust settles and, you know, get very specific on what those opportunities are and what the underlying investment and operator are. Yeah, I agree. The The underlying investment is key to this whole thing. I mean, as, as it always is with any investment, you need to look at the underlying fundamentals and make sure that makes sense. Um, the tax benefit could possibly push you in one direction or another. Maybe if you're on the fence, the tax benefit gets the project going, whereas otherwise it wouldn't. But yeah, the underlying investment is key. And, and I understand that you kind of have to be in wait and see mode here for a little while to see how the dust settles, what these regulations look like. But you know, with that said, do you expect this program to drive a lot of capital from family offices in the upcoming year? You know, I do. I do. I think, I think that it's, it's definitely going to drive um, investment dollars that are going into the program. And I mean, my understanding too uh, is that even if you invested after tax dollars, you're still going to be able to benefit from any gains being tax free at the end of the 10th year as well. So that, you know, that's quite an incentive. And so I do think that there's going to be quite a, quite a bit of money that's coming. And, and I also heard too, I think that there'll be insurance companies who, who pay tax will have quite an interest in this as well. Oh, that's interesting. What do you think the, the family office opportunity zone investments are going to look like in practice. Do you anticipate that family offices may create and manage their own opportunity zone funds or perhaps partner with other family offices to manage opportunity zone funds? Or are they more likely to leave the management of these funds to other operators? Or maybe it'll depend on whether or not they are holding any real estate currently inside of opportunity zones. Uh, who, who do you think is really going to drive these funds? Yeah, well, for, for one clarification, which is, you know, one of, one of the things that was brought up within this legislation is, is some of the vernacular. And, and an opportunity zone fund can either mean a single project, so a single building, or it could mean multiple buildings. So that's, you know, it's, it, it's using the same word, but yet it has two different meanings. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of attorneys are doing and accountants they're going to their family offices and they're saying, hey, do you have any properties that are in the opportunity zone? So they're making them aware and taking a look to see if there's a way that they can capitalize on the opportunity zones themselves. Real estate families, families that made their capital in real estate or money in real estate, they're more likely to actually take on a project themselves. In fact, 
they'll typically do any type of real estate investments on their own rather than going through somebody else. Uh, the families that have an allocation toward real estate but didn't create their wealth in real estate will most likely work with a local operator or a sponsor to invest into these different areas and rely on their expertise. They do that with their typical real estate investments, and, and, and that'll be the same case in these opportunity zone areas. Okay, so I guess it's going to be a little bit of both depending on your experience. So if enough family office has a lot of real estate investment, they may have the appetite to set up their own funds and projects, but otherwise there will be avenues for family offices who are not as comfortable with real estate investing. They'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to take advantage of, of other fund sponsors who may be able to help them. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? It is. And, and, and the one thing that I would be um, I'd want to emphasize, too, off of something that I said earlier, is that you know there's a lot of people that are going to be offering these investment opportunities that may not have any experience in real estate, but are trying to capitalize on the program itself. Family offices do want to be aware of that, or high net worth individuals really want to be aware of that. And you know, investing into some of these areas are totally different or outside even what some of the real estate families have done because they might have been investing into hotels in, you know, the, the, the most expensive area in every part of every city that they have a property in. And if these areas are are economically depressed, that's a different type of a product that's going to have to be built. So I, I think that one of the big things you know, once again, that families want to take a look at is, does the sponsor or the operator have experience of actually doing uh, d- development in a in one of these opportunity zone areas? And, um, you know, I think one of the best, best uh, operators to work with would actually be someone that has worked in these areas before. Maybe they've used new market tax credits, which is another tax incentive, or maybe they've been in uh, enterprise zones, which is another you know, tax incentive for, for uh, real estate uh, investors. And um, you know, all they're doing is what they have been doing for the last 20 years, but now you've got you know, this extra benefit of it being within an opportunity zone. To me, that would be the the most uh, solid decision to invest into an operator that has that type of experience. And I think you mitigate a, a tremendous amount of risk if you did that. Yeah, that's very good advice. Yeah, so if you're a family office with real estate investment experience, that doesn't necessarily mean you might have the appetite for an opportunity zone investment if in the past you've only developed property in in already developed economies or already developed areas or class a type buildings uh this might this is a little bit of a different wrinkle you might want to rely on an operator with more experience in that area yeah correct and and once again i mean it depends because there are some opportunity zones that are in you know new york city for example that is just already going through the gentrification process, or there's also the old old area of Las Vegas where the owner of Zappos has been gentrifying that area for years now. You know, you look at some of those areas, and that's not really a blighted area. That, that those are areas that are already started that uh, gentrification and and change that's been happening, and so you you want to really have a good understanding of the area that's being uh, proposed for investment. Yeah, that's a good point.
it's worth noting that when these opportunity zones were designated, they were able to designate the opportunity zones based on several years old census data. I think some of the census data went back, you know, more than more than four or five years, even in some cases. And that's a lot of time sometimes in, in certain areas that have uh, transformed rather quickly. And another point to that end is that these opportunity zones are intended to be low income areas, but the Treasury actually allowed certain areas that were not classified as low income so long as that they met some certain other criteria and were adjacent to low income neighborhoods. So there's there's a few opportunity zones out there. If, if you look at the map, you'll you'll see, hey, you know what, this 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 area isn't really that blighted. This neighborhood isn't that economically distressed. It's already on the upswing. Maybe this could be somewhere where I could focus my money, focus my investment. We're a little bit more comfortable investing here. I don't know if that was the intent of the program to give tax benefits to areas that were already on the upswing, but I, I think that's going to end up being what's uh, what's more what's most comfortable for a lot of investors for sure, at, at least at the outset. Yeah, and I think that. You know, one of the things that family offices, one of the, you know, not only what is the experience of the operator, but one of the biggest things we're going to be looking for, and I suggest the families to look for too, is is ask if they've done any type of market demand analysis. And that is something that really should be asked for any type of investment that you invest into, because there could be, um, you know, a, a, a tremendous amount of supply coming to market that's going to have a, you know, that's really going to have an effect on how you're able to, to lease up, uh, you know, maybe a property that you're looking to buy or you're looking to invest into, um, you know, or conversely, there could be a greater demand than what's available. And I think that that's something that really needs to be discussed with that operator or um, a sponsor about, you know, what type of research have you done? Because ideally, if it is an area that's in the path of progress, which means, you know, the, the, it's sort of like a wave where you've got um, development and and, and, and uh, gentrification that's happening, and it sort of just is going down the way, if that opportunity zone area happens to be, you know, in part of that path of the progression, then that's an ideal uh, area to uh, you know to invest into because all that growth and all that uh, development is coming your way. Absolutely. So I want to talk with you a little bit now about. Uh, I have a couple questions about the IRS regulations. Uh, the IRS back in October published some proposed guidelines. Uh, as a potential investor, are you still looking for more guidance from the IRS? I know there's a lot of conflicting information out there, uh, what what unanswered questions are you still waiting to get clarification on? Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. I, I had a chance to, to sit down last week with somebody that spent a significant amount of time up on Capitol Hill and talking to, you know, the people that are, are part of these decisions. And what they're finding is that there's additional questions that are continuing to come up. And in fact, the, the person I was talking with was a sponsor and trying to, you know, uh, raise money for a fund that he's put together. And I told him that, you know, we still need to let the dust settle per se. And after the conversation with him, 
uh, I even felt that that was more the case. For example, one of the the, the things that they, they bring up is that when you go to sell, if you've got multiple properties in an opportunity zone that's part of the investment, you've got to sell them all at the same time. And so does that mean you have to convert it into a REIT, which if somebody's got three or four properties within a fund, they're not going to do that. You know, and, and, and can you sell them all at the same time? Now, they may say best efforts, but, you know, what's the clarification for that? So it's, it's, it's those type of questions that we're waiting for. And if they're still making changes, then, um, you know, you, you can't be it, – it'd be very hard to really pull the trigger on anything until you know exactly – what some of those changes may be. So, you know, I think as a whole, to answer your question, we're just, there's not anything specific that we're looking for. It's just overall, you know, we, we, we want to know what these are, the, what the last guidelines are. Right. And as we mentioned earlier, those are expected to come out sometime in the new year in 2019, uh, hopefully by the first quarter. Yeah. So there's just, there's a lot that we're still waiting to to see there. I think one of the biggest issues in the proposed regulations that came out a couple of months back in October is, is that the taxpayer must exit his investment before the end of 2047 if he wants to be able to exclude gains from the investment. If, or in other words, if he wants to actually take advantage of the biggest tax break, which is the tax-free growth in the Opportunity Zone Fund, what do you make of that? I mean, the fact that you have to sell by by the end of 2047, I just see like there's going to be a huge rush to the exits in the mid-2040s. And is, is that problematic? Or would you have liked to have seen a longer time horizon there? Well, you know, this goes back to clarification because I, I think that you have to sell. You have to have an exit after the 10 years. Um and then, you know, the other question is, is, well, if you sell the property within five years in the opportunity zone, you reinvest it, do you start up another 10 years for it, you know? So I, I think that it's it's not a necessarily saying that it's one investment that's just going to go the full time because there may be iterations. And I also believe that that's more of, that's when the program ends. So it's it's more of a, uh, you know, this is where the finish line is for people to know because you don't have to invest next year. I mean, you could invest the, the year after and then your 10 years are, is going to start. So, um, you know, it depends on when you're making your investment. And I, I don't necessarily think there's going to be, you know, a rush. I mean, to some extent there may be, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a long time from now. It is a long time from now. It is a long time from now. It's just something that's on my mind, though, is uh, the fact the program does end eventually. And in order to take advantage of that tax-free growth, the IRS, at least as of their most current proposed regulations in October, they they say that you do have to exit to get those gains on the books that you can exclude. Um, right. But yeah, you that's that's right. What you said, you don't have to invest next year. Um, although 2019 is a big year for this program because it's the last year that you can take full advantage of the step up in basis. One of the provisions in the in the Opportunity Zone legislation is that you're able to step up your tax or step up your cost basis from your initial capital gains 15% if you hold for seven years. 
Um, but the dead, but the drop dead date for that is the end of 2026, which would mean that you have to get your money in by 2019. That said, there are still a lot of other benefits to the program. If, if you aren't able to get in by 2019, if you want to wait till 2020 or 2021, you're still, you're still good. You're still going to get a lot of, a lot of tax benefits if you happen to miss out on 2019. But that said, 2019 is expected to be a very big year for this program. Yeah, if that, you know, they also had some additional tax incentives that if you were to invest before the end of this year, but, you know, that would be next to impossible, right. I, I think, to do. Um, however, it's very, very easy to form an Opportunity Zone Fund. It's, I believe it's a one-page document that you put in with your taxes at the end of the year. And so anybody can create, uh, you know, this, this vehicle uh, very, very easily. And, um, you know, which is, which is something else I, I, I think that is a cause for, for caution. Um, however, with what you're saying, everything having to get in by the end of the year, I, I think that that momentum of investment is going to pick up considerably the closer you get to December of next year. And so you'll see quite a bit of money, you know, that are flowing into these areas, which hopefully... Uh, you know, a lot of uh, families that are investing aren't just doing it haphazardly, but still, you know, going back to the fundamentals like I've talked about before. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we're on the cusp of a big wave of momentum. We're recording this episode and we're going to release this episode in December of 2018. And I expect the next uh, 12 or 12 and a half months are going to be uh, going to be pretty wild ride. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, geographically, where do you see good Opportunity Zone deals? I know we, we spoke a little bit about that earlier, but wanted to get some more thoughts on you in terms of geography. And also, what are some of the factors that investors should look at when determining which, oppor- which Opportunity Zones to invest in? Yeah, I think that you know some of the areas that immediately come to mind is, like I mentioned, I mean, New York City, there's some areas just because the whole island of Manhattan is is, is at some point in time, you know, it's just going to be totally gentrified throughout. So I think that New York leads itself to some opportunities. I mentioned the old part of Las Vegas, which I've seen, you know, is a very good opportunity. You know, I I would go back and, and, and first say, okay, where are the primary and secondary markets? Uh, and then I would look into the opportunity zones within those areas because, if you've got a lot of growth happening, like I'm here in Denver and, you know, we're expected to double in the next, you know, 10 years or so population wise, and that's going to be pretty significant. So many of these opportunity zone areas here could very well be in that path of progress that I mentioned before. Um, and you look at, you know, one of the areas here in Denver, which is interesting, is the the, the Bronco Stadium and their parking lot is part of the Opportunity Zone. So, you know, I would go from top down. I would say, first, look at the, the main cities, see what's supposed to happen, uh, take a look at some of the economical information about the city itself and, and you know, quality of life, cost, cost of living, where there's jobs going, et cetera. And then within those cities, you can go online and actually look at an interactive map to see where the opportunity zones are. But once again, I think you've got to come back to that market demand analysis. I think you need to make sure that the operator has some of that 
information. And if they don't, that would be a red flag, you know, off the get go, because then there there is the uh, you know the tail wagging the dog per se, and they're really just focused on the tax component as a way to to raise money for projects. So, you know, you want to make sure that it's an area that's that's uh, growing or the growth is coming toward uh, in one of these markets that are are doing you know quite well or have some some good promise in the future. And you know the the markets that's been really growing outside of Seattle is Portland and Salt Lake and Denver is another one. Uh, the number one state for growth in general is is Texas. Number two is Florida. And then the Southeast is going to have a tremendous amount of growth from a real estate perspective in the future as well. So I think you just have to, um, you know, really, really dig into what that market information is. Yeah, a lot of great advice there, a lot of good areas to invest in. I think you're right, you know, looking at areas that are already showing a trend for growth. I think Amazon HQ2 is a good example with with New York City being being one of your examples. I mean, that happens to have been put in an opportunity zone and in an area that was already kind of on an upswing. You mentioned the Denver Broncos parking lot. I know that they already had plans to develop a stadium district neighborhood in that parking lot, so that'll benefit them, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, basically look for areas that are already on an upswing or adjacent areas on an upswing, and and that's a good place to start, absolutely. You know, I know we're we're here talking about real estate Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but, you know, one of the things that... It, this it doesn't lead itself just to real estate, and I think one of the one of the potentially great opportunities are are on the private equity side. For example, I had someone give me a call out of Southern Cal. They had sold their technology company for three and a half million, and he was starting up three other companies. and And you know, he was asking me what I thought, and I said, "Well, you should definitely do this within an opportunity zone because if it holds true that you know you go ten years from now and you sell that business for 300 million after you put 3 million into it, well, that should be tax free. And so I think that, you know, family offices and high net worth need to be aware of those potential opportunities too, because, you know, there could be really some, some great upside having one of those, you know, companies start up and, and develop itself within an opportunity zone. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. I actually think. You know the the main benefit of this program is being able to eliminate capital gains taxes when you exit after a ten year holding period. I really think like the best use case for that is having a huge return from a venture capital investment or a yep. business that really strikes it big. There are some there are some uh, hiccups with with business. It's not clearly defined what which types of or which businesses are eligible to be in an opportunity zone because businesses oftentimes grow outside of their geographies. And this is a place-based policy. Real estate is a lot more cut and dry. Uh, So that's why we're seeing a lot more real estate investment at the outset. But I completely agree. I think there's a, there's a big case for business and venture capital and private equity investment um, down the road for sure. Yeah. and and, and, And that's, you know, once again, coming back to getting the final information on these regs, um, you know, I think that's a big area of question that does need clarity. Um, you know, what percentage and, and let's say that you have a an internet based company and you're doing sales all around the the world, but yet everyone works out of that one facility. 
um, does that qualify? You know, th- those are the things that I-, I think we need to, you know, get some more specifics on. But but I think the more important component is to be aware of it and, you know, have it on your radar in case something comes up so that you can dig deeper. Absolutely. For family offices, they may be familiar with other tax advantage programs that they've used in the past. Probably the most uh, the most commonly used tax advantage program for family office real estate investing is the 1031 exchange. Can you can you compare the opportunity zone incentive to the 1031 exchange and, and highlight some of the differences? Yeah. So you know, with the 1031 exchange, um, which was maintained just for real estate, with the new tax changes that happened, you know, that allows you to defer your capital gains indefinitely until you sell or, or until you die. So what happens is that instead of paying taxes, you go through what's called a qualified intermediary, you need a third party, and then you invest into another property, which is considered like-kind, um, which is the same amount or greater. So you, you have certain guidelines that you have to invest, but the, the premise is that you're, you're not you're using that uh, capital gains capital in order to reinvest. Uh, my old patriarch actually had deferred $150 million worth of, of capital gains, and you know, which is a considerable amount. And you know, based upon today's tax laws, when you die, that should be a, there should be a step up basis. So um, it can be quite beneficial and create a significant amount of wealth. The Opportunity Zone Fund is that. If you're rolling money over, you have the ability to, you know, only pay a very, very, very small amount of those capital gains after a certain period of time. But any growth from that investment would be tax-free if you held that for 10 years. So if you decided after 10 years to sell, any of the gains is going to be tax-free, and you'll have a step up from your other monies. Uh, And whereas the 1031 if you decided to sell after 10 years, you are going to have to pay capital gain tax on that money. Yeah, the Opportunity Zone incentive offers a few advantages over the 1031 exchange. You don't have to wait until death. You don't have to go through a qualified intermediary. There's there's just fewer hurdles to clear. And the capital gains can come from, from any type of sale, right? It doesn't just have to be real estate. So a lot more flexibility, a lot more flexibility um, in some regards. Uh, there's... There's some hangups with the Opportunity Zone program, most notably that it has that the investment has to occur within certain geographies, of course. But uh, so there's some pros and cons to each each tax advantage. Yeah, I think that you know, going back to to what we talked about a few times before, is that it still comes down to the opportunity, right, and the investment opportunity, and what does that look like? With the 1031 exchange, you're not limited to any area, so you you've really got more choices. And you can also go into a stabilized asset. You could buy an apartment building that's already built and leased. You could buy a single tenant property like a Walgreens and, you know, clip coupons and and derive an income from that. Whereas the properties that you're going to be investing into in an opportunity zone are primarily going to be development or it's going to be a significant value add to where you're, you you know you've got four walls and you're you're redoing that whole property internally and and that's because of some of the requirements that the opportunity zone has you know which one of which is if you if you pay a dollar for it um, after the cost of land you've got to 
at least put that same amount into the property itself. And so, you know, you, you've got to make sure that those numbers are going to work. In an area like San Francisco, that's not a problem because usually I think the cost of construction is four times that what you paid for that, you know, for, for, for the, um, you know, the property per se. So that's one of those hurdles. Once again, you got to make sure that's going to be cleared, but you do have a little bit more flexibility on the 1031. Yeah, that's a good point. The substantial improvement provision of, uh, of purchasing real estate in an opportunity zone, if you purchase a piece of real estate for a million dollars, and let's say that's the the building value, you need to improve that building by at least a million a million dollars. So that's definitely worth consideration. DJ, how are you promoting education of opportunity zones and real estate investment for family offices and and other private wealth management firms? I know you're one of the uh, one of the leaders in the industry. How are you? What are you doing to promote education within this space? I've written a number of articles uh, on this, and um, it's more of a investor be aware of um, type. Uh, I also speak on on panels throughout the U.S. where we're talking about opportunity zone funds, and and you know not only talking about my thoughts, but also you know families and what they should be aware of and and whatnot. Um, also, you know we do have information on the website. And I've done a number of podcasts where we've talked about opportunity zones. And in the magazine, in the Family Office Real Estate Magazine, uh, we've also had uh, an article in our last issue about opportunity zone funds uh, or about opportunity zones. And we've got another one coming up because one of the people that I asked to write about, which was very interesting, was down in Puerto Rico. Well, Puerto Rico had the big problem with the storm, and I don't know if you knew this, Jimmy, but the whole the that whole area is an opportunity zone. Yeah, the entire island is an opportunity zone. The essentially, entire island is an opportunity zone, which is crazy. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's you know it's good that they're going to have that you know incentive for for development to happen and stuff down there. So we're trying to do that, and then um, you know actually. Uh, quite honestly, you, you brought up an idea yesterday when we were chatting about putting together some type of a white paper or, or you know, a mini book per se about opportunity zone funds for family offices, which I think is a fantastic idea and something we're gonna we're gonna move forward with because a lot of the information on opportunity zones are, are more about what they are and how great they are, whereas I think it's really important to also discuss you know, what you want to look for, right? And what you want to be aware of. And um, because that's as important, if not more important. And I think that's something that could be helpful for families. Very good. Well, DJ, I think this has been a great episode for family offices and and others who are uh, interested in opportunities on investing. And I really appreciate your time today coming on the show. Thank you for chatting with me. Uh, before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and possibly that upcoming white paper? Where can they where can they find out more about you? Sure. So the best place to go is actually in my name uh, for a website, which is djbankcharen.com. That's D-J, V as in Victor, A-N-K-E-U-R-E-N.com. And uh, so that's one where, and you've got my phone numbers there, my, my email address is there, so, so anybody can get in touch with me. 
Um, also on uh, Twitter, it's at djvancaren.com, where I'll, I'll constantly send out some information and, and helpful, useful uh, thoughts, uh, you know, which go out to families in regards to real estate. And, um, you know, those that's the best place for myself. And then, you know, we've got this uh, for families, this magazine that's coming out quarterly at family office rem for realestatemagazine.com so between those areas or you could just google my name you'll 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 be able to track me down very good and for our listeners i will have links to all of these resources that we've discussed on the show today in our show notes you can find our show notes at opportunitydb.com/podcast you can go there and learn more about dj and and all of his work and and the resources that we've discussed today DJ, again, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and I hope to chat with you again soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Keep up the good work. You bet. Thanks. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund Investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.